Welcome to the journal.ie's The Explainer, where every week we take a deep dive into a different news story. I'm Michelle Hennessy, and this week, what's causing the chaos at Dublin Airport? For weeks now, we've been reporting on delays faced by passengers flying out of Dublin Airport. As the airport struggled to deal with a surge in holidaymakers after the lifting of COVID restrictions, at one stage it was advising passengers to arrive at least three and a half hours before their flight to ensure they passed through the long security lines with enough time to make it to their gate. It had seemed as though the situation had improved, until last weekend when more than a thousand passengers missed their flights due to the delays at airport security. After the chaotic scenes witnessed at the airport, the government stepped in to force DAA, the company that operates the airport, to come up with a solid plan for the upcoming bank holiday weekend and the rest of the summer. So what's being done to fix the problem? And what lies ahead for Irish holidaymakers this summer? Joining me to shed some light on the situation is Owen Curry, editor of Air and Travel magazine. Owen, welcome to the podcast. Very grateful, Michelle. Thank you. So if we look back before the travel nightmare that was last weekend, as I mentioned, there had been some issues a number of weeks ago. How did this all start? It all started way back um, with the when COVID was closing down and disconnecting uh, this island and much of Europe. The different airports and airlines had to come up with some sort of way of uh, cutting costs and relieving, letting staff go. Um, the, the airport authority put in a, re- a redundancy scheme. And, you know, on the face of it, it shouldn't have had the huge impact it did for when the figures started getting back up again. Uh, they let, uh, I think, 248 people go. Um, they then faced a switch to the summer schedules in March, having come through the winter, a little bit stretched, but nothing too dramatic. And all hell broke loose. A lot of people missed their flights that first weekend. They brought in rostering. They tweaked a little bit, a few things. But it's quite clear they were stretched to the limit for the last two months. And on the Sunday morning, uh, they had a couple of surprises, two big surprises. They had 17 people who were due to join the security team. There are about 30 people a week joining the security team, 350 recruited. They were not cleared to join the, the to come on and work on Sunday morning. They also had 20 people off sick. So not the biggest deal in the world if this was 2019. But when everything at the airport is bursting at the scene, stretched to the limit, it just meant they lost control of the queues from a very early stage in the morning and very, very hard to get it back. About 1,400 people missed their flights. And bearing in mind what we had been seeing over the previous weeks, was it a surprise then that it was so bad last weekend? It was a surprise because they had been managing. Uh, the advice still is three and a half hours in advance for a long haul flight, two and a half hours in advance for a short haul flight. That's a long time considering where we were in 2019. The security queues were way over 30 minutes, which would be the maximum queue you'd have faced before COVID. But people were comfortable enough that, you know, if you're if you are going to uh, queue for less than an hour, which is what really was happening, uh, passengers were prepared to put up with that. What happened on Sunday, though, is that trust was broken. The assurance that you wouldn't miss your flight, which uh, had happened. Nobody had missed a flight since that initial uh, problem in March started coming apart at the weekend. It started happening on Saturday and then Sunday, very heavily publicized. But it it was 
probably even without those absences on Sunday morning, it's quite likely we'd have had some sort of calamity because the numbers are just back close to where they were in 2019. That means 100,000 a day going through every Saturday and Sunday during June. The peak day will be June the 24th. Uh, with a record day in the airport is 118,000 uh, back in 2019. And uh, we'll be over 100,000 for some of those Saturdays and Sundays. Clearly, the stretched security queue, security rostering system that they had was going to give way at some stage. It just happened to be last Sunday and very spectacular. And now they have pretty much um, very draconian measures to try and cope with the coming weekends. Do we know exactly how many people missed their flights last weekend? Or is that something we might only have a concrete idea of when the claims start coming in? I suspect we'll know more only after the claims process. But we do, we, 1,000 was what Dublin Airport said. The airline said it was quite a few more. The consensus figure is around 1,400. There could be more. The real issue is that so, you know, people miss flights every day anyway. And uh, to what extent the queues contributed to it will also be, you know, it, but I'd imagine 1400 is around the figure of the number of people who missed flights due to the delays, which is, it's a very high figure for one day. But in the overall scheme of things that happens in aviation, um, the, you know, weather events can cause flight cancellations. So a pile up in the M50 can cause people to miss flights. It's a manageable number for Dublin Airport to adequately compensate and for to reschedule uh, on further further flights. It's a huge, big, big drama for some of those people because they missed one-off events like concerts and sporting events. So at the weekend, what was the initial response of the airport operators, DAA? I mean, what were they saying when we were seeing these chaotic scenes? They were saying very little, but they were working very hard. They were on trying to get people in. They were going to everybody they could to try and bring them in to open. The, uh, there were six lane security lanes shy of what they needed, and they were doing everything they could to bring people in to open those six lanes. They, by the time they had people coming in, the queues had got out of control and there was no way of getting them back. What they've been doing since is they have been working on uh, contingency plans to prevent this happening again. They say they can't guarantee it won't happen again. And the reason they can't guarantee is a large number of absences on the security uh, team would will certainly is likely to drive it over the edge because they're so stretched. They're talking about uh, triaging people coming to the terminal so that those who are too early will be kept in a holding area and only let through as their flight approaches. That plan is only being outlined today to the Oireachtas Transport Committee. Already there's been a quite a hostile reaction on social media to it. There are other things that, you know, as they're people that they've recruited, the extra security people that are trained in and put in place, we would expect the security queues to abate. But there is another background problem to this, that everything in the airport, not just the security queues, are under pressure. The baggage check-in desks are under pressure. The airlines are under pressure. The business of checking in a bag can really become complicated if there's a couple of no-shows on the check-in for one of the airlines that handles a major hub like Frankfurt, Amsterdam, like Paris, like um, Heathrow. There's also issues with servicing gates and 
um, even uh, providing check-in staff from the service companies. And this is replicated all over Europe. Uh, airlines like EasyJet over the weekend cancelled, uh, EasyJet cancelled 200 flights. British Airways have cancelled much of their summer schedule, including the Dublin Heathrow flights. And um, airports have run into immense problems. Toronto has an ongoing problem with queues much longer than we saw in Dublin. Uh, even Sheepall, which is pretty well organised, had a couple of disastrous weekends and they did something like Dublin. They int- introduced a plan last Thursday. And uh, Manchester Airport, even this morning, has uh, had queues back into the car park at 4 a.m. At 4 in the morning. That's a recurring problem in Manchester. Bristol and Newcastle both had a bad day on the su- on the Sunday. The Airport Councils International have identified a couple of things that have um, they've difficulty recruiting staff, having let much staff go. That seems to be uh, identical across the European markets. There's a problem with people not being as adept at packing as they used to be. So the screening process is slower. And there's also a peaking, an interesting one since COVID that we didn't expect is there's been a bit of peaking of aircraft, airline schedules, so that they're crowded into a shorter period of time, which leads to surges of people trying to get through airport security. And that's not confined to Dublin. That's right through the system. There's also peculiar to Dublin, uh, an enhanced screening, uh, which was announced last September and came in, came into play at the beginning of January. And that was a slow process because the extra vetting was quite slow. All the existing employees, not just the new employees, had to go through this enhanced screening process that slowed down the clearance of people to work in security. And then right on top of it, uh, just when you needed at least uh, Dublin Airport failed a couple of safety audits by the European agency EASA, and that meant that uh, they had to required more vigilance and uh, greater sensitivity at the security. So more bags were going in to be second for secondary checks. So all of those things are factors that mean that this is not going to be a problem that will be solved very easily. The real question everybody's asking about DA is, why we are going to be through some of the busiest days in the year before all the recruits, all the security recruits are put in place. Yeah, and in terms of solving that problem and the plan that's been announced, what can people expect if they're travelling over the next few days when they arrive at the airport? What will their experience be like? I don't think it's going to be immensely different despite the the what's been announced. They, people, they obviously expect to have to queue people outside the terminal. That was first brought in in March, and it's peculiarly confined to Terminal 1. The major problem there is if you've got check-in queues uh, heading towards one side, or the right-hand side as you walk into Terminal 1, is the Rhine, at the end of it, is the Ryanair area, and all the check-in queues, uh, some of the long haul would have long uh, check-in queues because Qatar and Etihad both operate out of Terminal 1. Turkish operate out of Terminal 1. Air France, Lufthansa would sometimes have long. So though you have queues merging into queues because the security queue was moving. It's a, The departure gates are on the left-hand side as you go into the terminal. And the two queues were coming together in the middle. It was chaos. People didn't know which queue they were in. So they've moved queues to outside. They ex- clearly expect that to continue. They are keeping, most interesting of all, they're keeping the advice in place. Two and a half hours for short haul, three and a half hours for long haul. 
And then they have what's clearly a measure to stop people arriving too early. There was a that loss of trust that we discovered on Sunday. People were following the advice two and a half hours and still missed their flight. That means that people are piling into the airport really early, incredibly early in the morning. We saw a bit of it in March, um, but we see much more of it now since Monday. And Monday and Tuesday, very long queues early in the morning, not to do with security personnel at all, but just the volume of people that were arriving. Afternoon flights, uh, people in afternoon flights ahead of people who are in 9 a.m. flights. The headline um, feature of the plan has been that they're not going to let people through security uh, until closer to their flight, until two and a half hours before their flight. And I think the messaging out of that is don't arrive too early in the airport because you're going to end up in a holding area. I suspect that passengers will uh, sit back from that a wee bit and start and arrive closer to their flight time. And there won't be that much of a demand for the holding area. And I suspect that's been DA's intention all along. When you've got people arriving way in advance for a flight, the check-in desk very often isn't open. Uh, the airline staff, if they are in, they'll only have one check-in maybe uh, well in advance. And then the security channels aren't open. Before 6 a.m., there are very few security channels open. Very long queues that we saw in April and the beginning of May at very at early hours in the morning, three and four in the morning were caused, but not by, although it was caused by a, a volume of passengers arriving when there are very few security channels open. What DA seemed to be doing with this plan is, uh, saying well, there's very little we can do about the staffing, but there's more we can do about the management of people going through those reduced number of security queues, uh, security channels, and moving to try and um, having scared people into uh, arriving in the airport too early. They're now trying to scare people into arriving into the airport a little later. And we've seen this surge in people travelling. Tourism has exploded over the past few months. Do you expect the summer as we move into it will become even more intense in terms of the numbers travelling? I think we have a good idea of the numbers travelling uh, from the schedules. They, You can assume that most flights are 85% full at this time. The Orion will be a little bit higher, considerably higher, maybe up to 95 so we've a good idea of what the numbers will be running through July and August. It'll be about 90% of capacity we had in 2019. And at times it'll be day for day, almost exactly the same. That's where the problems are arising the Saturday and the Sunday. Uh, we aren't quite back to where we were, but the, we, the airlines are telling me that they return to travel was a little bit faster than they expected. A lot of them didn't put all their fleet back in the sky this summer or didn't put all the same frequencies in the sky as they had in 2019. And they were quite surprised how quickly people returned and how quickly things like locator forms, which were a deterrent and testing, which is a deterrent still for the likes of the United States, but dropped by Canada. So those those sort of, um, you know, the changes in the requirements and the deterrence to travel that were making people nervous about travel have probably given a little bit of a, a boost to beyond what the airlines expected. There was also a setback, uh, the war in March, 
Certainly, it didn't cause cancellations, but it slowed down bookings considerably. But now bookings seem to be uh, that recovered quite quickly. And now bookings for July, August seem to be strong. I don't think we'll we will see uh, any more surprises. There won't be extra uh, flights put on and that sort of thing. The interesting thing will be they're anticipating a very quiet winter. Will the winter be a little bit um, more lively than the airlines are currently anticipating? Oh, and you mentioned DEA's voluntary redundancy scheme during COVID. Can you talk to us a little bit about why they felt they had to do that? There was a complex number of reasons here. Now, most uh, the obvious one is they were losing one million euro a day. This was a way to get out of a situation where they had lost control of costs or the the runaway costs were were not being matched by any income, which had shriveled up to virtually nothing. So one of their one of the every time people talk about costs, they they look at redundancy. Uh, there are obviously re- obligations, legal obligations when you're making people redundant. You also have to make it attractive to them to leave. It comes with a statute bar that uh, you, you're not allowed to rehire someone to, to do this the same job. Obviously, uh, you could, it defeats the purpose of having a, redu- uh, a redundancy payment, which has got its tax um, with its special tax status. If somebody's going to be rehired, and that could have tied their hands a little bit when they came to uh, responding to the recent crisis. They let a thousand people go through the entire Dublin Airport Authority, and most most redundancy schemes, it is an older demographic that takes them up. So very often, a company finds that rehiring younger people um, after and when there's differences in contracts as well, because it's Dublin Airport's very heavily regulated, heavily unionized environment. So it, the employee contracts are quite um, complex. There is a bewildering array of them. So certainly from the finance, financial department's point of view, uh, it made sense to introduce this redundancy scheme, uh, older, more expensive employees gone, and then you're hiring younger and lesser, less expensive employees to replace them when the traffic gets up and running again. Nobody knew when traffic was going to get up and running again. People expected uh, September 2020, and then it became March 2021, and it was quite clear from Ireland's point of view, most of 2021 was written off. March's, March 2022 has proven stronger return than DA had probably anticipated. So they obviously can't rehire all of those experienced people that they lost during that redundancy scheme. But how much of a challenge are they facing now in terms of finding people with the right skills and hiring those people to help with the difficulties they're facing at the moment? Yeah, there's quite a narrative going on about this. Obviously, the trade union side, there's a long, a long history of um, quite muscular uh, trade union uh, politics at Dublin Airport. So the trade union side are saying that the pay and conditions uh, does not make this job attractive. Dublin Airport say they've got they're coming down with applications, 6,000 applications for 350 jobs. 
there are probably things going on behind closed doors and um, negotiations going on behind closed doors that are relate to the difficulty that uh, Dublin Airport are in at the moment. They're certainly not in a very strong uh, negotiation when it comes to um, industrial relations negotiations. That when, when you're absolutely as stretched as, you, as Dublin Airport are at the moment, you're not in a strong negotiating position. So what is the staffing situation at the airport like? Very short on the security side and sometimes in other areas as well. But you've got to remember that the direct employees for Dublin Airport are only a proportion of the overall staffing at the airport. The airlines are under pressure, the uh, contract staff for all the different services and people who are going through Dublin Airport have been commenting on the general uh, decor, the, the decor of the place and the general standards uh, not being back to not being where they were in 2019. So everybody's under pressure, the airlines, the service uh, people, the service companies who look after the smaller airlines, the uh, contract staff and who carry out all those services. And indeed, the travel companies that use Dublin Airport are also under huge pressure themselves. Some of the tour operators have uh, been completely independent of the security queue problem, cancelling flights themselves. For the people who missed their flights last weekend, what options do they have in terms of redress? Is there something they're entitled to from the airport or will their airlines do something for them? It's an interesting one because we have a very, uh, very set very distinct, very distinct and very clear set of regulations when an airline is responsible for uh, somebody being out of pocket. It's regulated by uh, the Commission of Aviation Regulation. There's, there's European legislation to back it up, which has been around for 18 years. It's been tested through courts, lots of precedents, exactly what counts and what doesn't. There's none for airports. It's very unevolved by comparison. So all we know about the compensation process is an email. Dublin Airport instruction is to email, you get a form and then you fill out the circumstances of the flight being missed and what the expenses were and presumably send in a vouched claim for it. There's a, If there's about 1,400 of them, which is what most people agree on at the moment, it shouldn't take that long to process them by comparison with the huge, uh, huge number of people that had to be processed during the uh, first year of COVID, uh, 25 million claims, a billion euro from Ryanair alone. So 1,400, if the claims department, if that claims process is resourced, uh, it should go through fairly quickly. And Dublin Airport have been certainly making it clear that they're not going to be uh, that they're going to be quick about paying it and they're you know within weeks and they're not going to be querying every euro that was in the vouched expenses. There obviously is going to be some legal uh, minds go, uh, going through them at, and saying, you know, are, are, can these be proven? I'm not sure if you can really contest too much of that because there's no way of of working out when somebody joined a queue in a security queue at Dublin Airport last Sunday. But it's certainly something, it's an interesting one because while we've we've a very clearly evolved system of claims against airlines, we've none against airports. And what about travel insurance? Would that cover people for this sort of occasion? Interesting uh, that travel insurance, not all, it, it, some policies cover missed flights. They tend to concentrate more on what happened on the way to the airport than what happened at the airport. 
I suspect the reaction of travel insurance companies will be that they will uh, expect Dublin Airport to pay this out and not pay out. The travel insurance missed flight looks for things like uh, evidence of car breakdown or the uh, an accident. Sometimes they don't recognise an accident that isn't on the motorways around the airport. But the, it is available. Some people have it. It's not part of the general policy that most people have, family policies or year, annual policies. But I would expect the claims going to the travel insurance company. Insurance companies are great at looking for someone else to pay up first before they do. They'll send it straight back to Dublin Airport. And if people listening to the podcast have plans to travel in the next few days, what options do they have if they want to make sure they don't miss their flight? Is there much they can actually do other than just turn up within those designated time periods that Dublin Airport have given them? Pretty much stick to the advice that Dublin Airport has given. Two and a half hours for short haul, three and a half hours for long haul. You can go, you know, you don't have to be exactly on the two and a half hours, but don't be too far outside it because they are talking about a holding area to take people out of the queue. So instead of um, being able to, uh, while your time away at home or whatever, you'll be in a holding area in Dublin Airport, which can't be a very pleasant start to a holiday. And what's the situation with dropping your bags? Are there delays with this too on the airline side of things? There are delays. Sometimes the gate has to be open for a lot of airlines. If you're dropping your bag, they've likes of the long haul airlines, the Etihads and Qatars and people like that and Emirates have all opened gates, opened their their drop-off areas a little bit earlier, about half an hour earlier. But it's not enough for someone who's coming way in advance. So again, that's another thing to watch. Don't turn up way, way in advance when you've bags to, to drop off. Ryanair and Aer Lingus have self-check baggage areas and they've more, a greater frequency of flights. It's not that big a problem there, but we've had cases where the outbound flights from Lufthansa, um, for instance, have been delayed and people miss their connections purely because of the business of getting your bag onto the aircraft. Getting your bag out at the other end has also been an issue because of staffing shortages and rostering problems in the baggage hall. But that's uh, at the end of your journey. Uh, we've had a couple of uh, pretty bad days at Dublin Airport for that as well. Everybody is rightly focused on the immediate situation, but I'm wondering, is this something that would prompt airports or travel companies to change how they do bookings? And could this do serious damage to Dublin Airport's reputation with air carriers? Yeah, it's not likely to. People have really short memories. And anybody who's dealing with some of the other real problem areas, um, like in Toronto being an example, would not hold Dublin up as being particularly bad. We also uh, have a precedent for this in America where the uh, TSAs, um, the security queues right across America ran to almost uncontrollable levels about three years ago uh, due to changes in regulations. There are changes in uh, the sensitivity of machines and things like that. So when the, the queue shortened again, everybody seemed to forget about it. I think we have very short memories in aviation. Um, there, people are, see travel as a bit of a drama, uh, not very pleasant, and getting to the, the getting to the location is regarded as a sort of a rite of passage that you have to uh, suffer a little bit and then forget about as soon as you've reached your destination. And over the rest of the summer, 
are we expecting this to get worse? I mean, is this something that we could see fixed for the bank holiday weekend and maybe we have a couple of weeks of reprieve and then it's happening again? Or do we expect that there will be a long-term plan put in place that will fix this for, for good? For, it'll only be fixed for good when the staffing gets to the right level. Until then, we are at the mercy of unexpected um, sickness. A lot of people putting, uh, going sick unexpectedly at short notice, as happened last Sunday. That's why nobody can say it won't happen again. But I would be surprised. Uh, I would be really surprised if we see anything like we saw last Sunday. And where we have June, will uh, the busiest individual days will be June, but the summer holidays, as for, for real, are going to be right through July and August. And we have quite a few days that have more than 100,000 passengers a day going through the airport. Um, so, as I say, while everything is stretched so thin, we expect the new uh, security recruits to be all in place by the end of June. But uh, while we're stretched as badly as we are, and that just doesn't that doesn't isn't confined to security, we could have another situation. I'd be quite surprised if it happens, given the reaction to what happened last Sunday. But it, nobody can say for certain it's and it, the trigger. Without any doubt, the trigger will be something like a weather event or uh, the, um, the absences, particularly in the security team. Well, as someone who has travel plans for next month, I have to say I was hoping that answer would calm my anxiety a little bit more. You'll be fine. I mean, the, the reality is two, uh, two and a half hours in advance for a short haul, three and a half for a long haul. That is plenty of time. Uh, the long haul can be a bit of a drama because if you're going to America, because the security, there's an extra security queue going down to the uh, gates and the immigration gates. Uh, the U.S. immigration gates are queues run to 40 and 45 minutes there as well. So you will need your three and a half hours. But I think two and a half hours is a generous uh, instruction. That's why Dublin Airport came up with it in the first place. Normally, we would be arriving one hour before. Uh, so two and a half hours, we'll get everybody through with for the summer without missing their flights. Oh, and thanks so much for speaking with me today. I think it's been really helpful for, for people to hear what the plan is. Uh, and hopefully we have allayed people's worries a little bit if they're planning to travel. Always a great pleasure, Michelle, and happy traveling to you and the listeners. Now, before we finish up with this week's episode, I want to remind you again about a new podcast from The Journal, The Good Information Podcast. This 15-part series will cover subjects that were examined by The Good Information Project, including the Irish healthcare system, Brexit, Ireland-China relations, migration, housing, and a united Ireland. It's available wherever you normally listen to your podcasts. Thanks to everyone who listened to this episode of The Explainer. And thanks again to Owen for joining me. This episode was brought to you by producers Aoife Barry and Nikki Ryan. If you liked what you heard and you want to support The Explainer, there are a few things you can do. You can head to thejournal.ie forward slash contribute to become a monthly subscriber, or you can leave us a rating and a review as well if you're feeling generous, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks again for listening. Until next time.